I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today, I'm happy to have Rena Reifinger with me. Rena, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So Rena is an award-winning social entrepreneur, philanthropy leader, and advocate for women and girls. She currently leads experiential philanthropy at Population Services International, which we will refer to as PSI in this conversation, and is managing director of the Maverick Collective by PSI a community of women philanthropists making catalytic investments in health and reproductive rights to elevate women and girls everywhere. And as a full disclosure, my wife and my sister-in-law are active members of the Maverick Collective community. That's how I learned about this. I don't think that makes this a conflict necessarily, but I do want to be transparent about that relationship. So let's kind of start there, if you don't mind. How did you get involved with Maverick Collective? What is the origin story of Maverick Collective? And and what are you all focusing on? Great. Thanks so much, Brian. And I don't think it presents a conflict at all. From my <laughs> okay. vantage point, I actually think it makes you a champion and an ally. And we need more men who are doing that, especially in the sector that you work in. So thank you so much for having me on. Maverick Collective was co-founded almost 10 years ago by PSI, which I will describe with a little more detail in a moment, but with Melinda French Gates and the Crown Princess of Norway. And the idea was to create a community of women philanthropists who were giving, as we say, beyond the checkbook and really engaging deeply in the philanthropy that they're doing and the projects that they're funding. You know, this was at a time where Melinda herself was kind of stepping out from behind Bill's shadow as a philanthropist in her own right, you know, really be taken seriously, as I say, for her mastery of the issues and not just the money that she had or who she was married to. And she, like like the crown princess and others, really wanted to see more women being able to do that, to not only write checks, right, and be kind of behind the camera or behind the spotlight, but to really step out as 
champions for the issues that they fund and that are really smart on those issues, that are deeply knowledgeable about them. And the only way to do that, of course, is to really learn by doing. So Melinda also, the Gates Foundation has been a strong supporter of PSI, and she really saw PSI as kind of the, you know, nonprofit organization that could incubate this collective and bring it to scale the way we have. PSI is a 52-year-old or nonprofit, international nonprofit that works in about 46 countries around the world, bringing healthcare to people that need it most. We work across reproductive health and rights, HIV, TB, malaria, access to clean toilets, sanitation and water, with a really strong kind of foundation in lifting up women and girls and advancing gender equity. So Maverick Collective now is 45 women strong. They range in age from early 20s to early 80s. It's really intergenerational. And it's really just this compilation of women who are unafraid to be bold in their giving, who are supporting PSI through kind of almost like a venture-like mindset of philanthropy, helping to seed innovation, help PSI drive new ideas, new technologies, new approaches to global health, and then being on a really deep learning journey with us as they make those investments so that they can go on to champion these issues and accelerate their impact over the course of their lives. Yeah, it's an incredible organization. And obviously just the founding women themselves, you had a huge amount of horsepower there, an incredible network. How did you get involved with the institution? So I have been at PSI for almost 10 years, or sorry, over 10 years. So I've been here since Maverick was founded. My background is in public health and specifically in adolescent sexual and reproductive health. So I came into PSI 10 years ago as our global youth and girls advisor and was kind of advising the entire organization on our strategy for engaging young people and adolescent girls in sexual and reproductive health programming. Things like access to contraception, HIV prevention and treatment, et cetera, around the world. Several of our Maverick members, I would say the majority of Maverick members, are funding these areas of PSI's work. And so right away, I got involved with Maverick as kind of like a learning liaison for many of the members. You know, I was there to help support their learning as they became, got smart on and became more knowledgeable about the projects they were funding. I spent time traveling with several of them, going into countries like Tanzania and helping to design their projects. I actually lived in Myanmar for several months to start up a Maverick project back in 2015. So it's always been kind of a big part of my experience at PSI. And then in 2016, a few years into Maverick's tenure, we started to see this wave of younger women really activated and wanting to take part in the work that we were doing. And when we were founded, we had, we, we've always ranged in age, but we really saw this kind of wave of women in their early 20s to early 30s wanting to take part in Maverick but not necessarily having ever done anything in big philanthropy before. And so my predecessor and I put together a proposal to the Gates Foundation to start a specific program focused on these women who are at the early stages of their philanthropy. And we called it Maverick Next. The Gates Foundation funded it, and I came over to the Maverick team team to launch it. So it's been an incredible journey for me building and launching a new Maverick program, Maverick Next, and then stepping into leadership of the entire collective about two years ago. And ever since, we've just been evolving and iterating and launching new programs along the way. What was the experience in like pitching the Gates Foundation? 
The Gates Foundation has always been a huge supporter of this. They're a huge supporter of PSI. They fund a lot of our health work around the world. And of course, having, you know, Melinda as our co-chair and co-founder, they've always been really, really supportive of, of the work we're doing to advance women's philanthropy and in so doing, advancing gender equity. They've been a huge and supportive partner along the way and really a learning partner as well. They're the type of donor that I always love to have because they're a donor that wants to learn with us, that's willing to take risks with us, that's really given me the bandwidth to try things, sometimes to fail, to you know keep iterating until we get something right. And they always bring the kind of curiosity for how to do things better. So to your point, I think starting really 10 years ago, at least as I've been involved within the family office community, people have thought about giving differently. And there's these concepts of effective altruism floating around there. People are rethinking, you mentioned kind of venture philanthropy, doing well and and doing good. The line is really blurred there oftentimes within the giving ecosystem. What have you seen change within your own organization about how you think of deploying capital and talking to investors and talking to donors? Well, I think what's so wonderful about Maverick Collective, it, it is it epitomizes what I think of as like the most progressive, sophisticated form of philanthropy. You know, it's the most flexible, the most nimble, the most venture-like of all the funding that PSI gets. Now, PSI is a huge organization, right? Just to give you a sense of our scale, we're in, you know, 46 countries. We have about 5,000 employees around the world, 98% of whom are local to the countries and regions where we work. We probably bring in about 400 to 500 million every year in annual revenue. Maverick Collective is a tiny slice of that, right? And I have to remind people of that often. Individual philanthropy is very small when it comes to the proportion of problems, you know, and the the proportion of resources we need to solve these like existential problems of our time. But what I also like to remind people is that small can be really mighty, right? That there's no other form of giving that is as nimble, that has the ability to be creative, to fund ingenuity, to fund at the cutting edge than individual philanthropy. And so we also know it can be really catalytic. And so what we found with the work we've done over the last 10 years through Maverick Collective is that we're not only kind of increasing impact for women and girls, right? We're also having a real impact on our members in how they develop a philanthropic mindset, how they go back out into the world more strategic, more bold, more kind of aligned in how they give with how they invest with their, you know, kind of core values. And we also see that we're making an impact on philanthropy because typical philanthropy is pretty outdated. It's pretty patriarchal. It's pretty white. It's male. And it's not very risk forward. And what I always find really fascinating about people who do operate in the investment world and the venture world, especially, is oftentimes people are willing to take great risks with their money that they have set aside for venture, right, or for investing. But with the money they set aside for philanthropy, they don't always adopt that kind of risk mindset, or I like to call a bold mindset. And so what we found with Maverick is a group of women who are willing to do that, right? And who are willing to say, if these problems were easy to solve, we would have solved them a long time ago. I'm willing to invest my capital in an organization that I trust, who is going to try things, who might fail, who are going to try again, but who are going to bring me on that journey with them so that I can be under the hood with them 
really learning with them, offering the kind of skills and ideas or just the fresh curiosity that I have to help to solve these intractable problems. And I think if we have, you know, and then they go off and do it again and again in other philanthropic ventures, as well as in their kind of investment ventures. So I've seen a real shift. And I think the willingness to talk about being bold, about investing in things that don't have a clear outcome or where we don't have the solution. And we also see a lot more now, particularly among our members, philanthropists who really uphold the lived experience and the decision making of the communities that they are trying to support. You know, again, typical philanthropy, especially when we look at government funding and large institutions and foundations, almost always donors are calling the shots, right? They're the ones saying like, here's the application I want you to fill out. Here is the impact that I want to see. How are you going to get there? You know, what is it going to cost? Organizations, you know, donors are typically kind of defining impact. And then organizations are trying to like pigeonhole their programming to meet that expectation of the donor. What we see happening in Maverick is a total flipping of the script and a flipping of those hierarchies where Maverick members are saying, I want you PSI and the communities that you work closely with and the grassroots organizations that you work with to tell me what impact means. You know, you tell me what it is going to take, how long it is going to take, and what you expect to see over the next, you know, three to five to, to 10 years. And I will fund you to do that. And I'm going to be really flexible and I'm going to work with you and change that, understand that what happens two years from now will probably look really different than the proposal you put in front of me today. And that's okay. As long as we're staying honest with one another, that we're learning together, right? And so I see a lot of that change happening here at Maverick and PSI. And we really think that is an example for the world. Yeah. It reminds me of Mackenzie Scott and her giving recently, which has been, there's no caveats there. There's no spending clause or provisions. It's really just a, a free gift to organizations to do with what they like, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people, but it can be super empowering to these organizations who are typically trying to jump through hoops to make donors feel like they're getting what they're quote unquote paying for. So that is a, an interesting shift. You referenced kind of all of these existential threats in the world. There's a lot going on, a lot of problems that are popping up. Your mission is gender equality. I would love for you to spell out kind of why you focused on healthcare in order to solve that challenge. Mm, great question. Well, you know, we believe that having access to high quality healthcare at a cost that people can afford is absolutely essential to a gender equitable world, right? We are just not going to ever achieve gender equity if women and girls do not have access to the healthcare that they need and desire. And there's still massive gaps, right? There's about 200 million women around the world right now that want modern contraception and can't access it, right? There are 810 women who died due to complications from pregnancy and childbirth last year, every single day. There are 61% of women right now who are not getting tested for the diseases that are killing them most. So we have these huge gaps in healthcare that are also achievable. They're solvable, right? There are so many different types of modern contraceptive methods out there. Most every woman listening to this podcast has probably used at least one in her life. And yet 200 million women out in the world want them and can't get them, right? Imagine the change that we would see 
if every woman in the world could just control her fertility and decide when is the right time to have those children if she wants them at all, right? What does that do to her ability to stay in school? What does that do to her ability to enter the workforce and to strive in the workforce and thrive in it? What does that do, you know, not only deciding, you know, not to have a child, but maybe just spacing those pregnancies so that she can recover fully from the last pregnancy before she has the next one. These are things that we kind of take for granted in a lot of the places where we live now, but we can see and we all have experienced the effect that it has on our ability to thrive in other aspects of our lives. And so that's why we choose health. PSI has been a leading organization in global health for 52 years. We've seen tremendous impact on the communities that we serve, not only directly on their health, but also on their ability to access those other things, like I said, education, the workforce, et cetera. And until we have health equity, we will never have gender equity. And this must go towards the PSI network of boots on the ground operators because the, the societal and cultural norms associated with these types of healthcare practices vary widely geographically. How do you manage that from, from a kind of central HQ perspective when you're trying to push through these different investments or allocations? Yeah. It's a huge, complex organization. I think one of the things that makes us really strong as a big global organization is that we are locally led and globally connected. So I mentioned that about 98% of our employees are local to the countries or the regions where, where we work, right? We have deep, deep levels of programming in country and in community where we have been in these countries for, you know, 25 to 50 years We are working with communities throughout the country. We're working really closely with national and local governments. We're a highly kind of credible organization in these countries. And so a lot of our leadership is totally decentralized, actually. You know, we do technically have a global headquarters here in D.C. We also now have a headquarters in Nairobi, Kenya, as well as a small global office in Europe. But what's really amazing is that nothing is really being pushed through from headquarters, right? What actually happens is that the programs that we deliver, the ideas that get generated, the strategies that get kind of executed are being completely developed and created at the grassroots in those kind of locally led organizations with our communities, with our local partners, et cetera. So when Maverick Collective members come in, who typically are not from those countries, right? We have to be like very honest about that, that Maverick members are typically from the U.S. and Europe at this point. We have a few members who are from the Global South, and we're hoping to grow that. But when they come in, again, they're coming in with curiosity first. I always love to say your curiosity is your capital just as much as your money, right? And I think it's even more more important. And so when we meet somebody that is interested in joining Maverick Collective and interested in our work, the first thing that we have them do is really take a listening tour of what PSI does and learning more about how we are making an impact in the world. Then when they start to get interested in actually funding some of our work, again, rather than having them call the shots and say, here's the type of thing I want to fund or here's the impact I want to see, what we do is we we actually first listen, of course, and spend a lot of time with her talking about her values, talking about what is exciting to her, what drives her passion, right? Everybody has their different causes and issues that they're really passionate about. 
and she might have some really clear ideas of what impact means to her in terms of, does it really excite you to fund research and development, or is it more exciting for you to deliver, for us to deliver services and products with your funding? You know, do you want to be at a really early startup stage of a project, or would you rather come in where we're starting to scale something that we already know works? PSI does all of these things. So what's really cool is that we can kind of work with a donor to help her surface what would success feel like for her with her investment. And then we've got this bank of ideas at PSI that we're constantly feeding where anybody of those 5,000 employees across the PSI world can submit an idea to our bank that says if you had typically this, these are million dollar investments. So if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? right? If you had this kind of flexible capital to solve a problem that you are not able to solve with traditional donor funding, what would you do? Those ideas get kind of vetted by a review team across our organization, looking for strategic alignment, for innovation, for ability to scale, ability to sustain beyond initial investment. And once those ideas get kind of vetted and approved in our own system, then we can go and match the donor with the project or set of projects that really kind of align with her passions and interests. So it's a really wonderful process where you have this kind of grassroots creation matched with donor passion and values rather than a donor saying, here's what I want to see, go out and build it for me. And is that what you mean by experiential philanthropy? That's the first step in the experience. What we mean by experiential philanthropy is blending hands-on learning with real dollar grant making in order to really accelerate change, right? So what's so beautiful about Maverick Collective kind of living at PSI is that once you join our collective, you've literally got access to 5,000 global health experts all over the world who are willing and excited to help you learn and grow as a donor and really get smart on these issues. So the very first step in our kind of experiential journey, our learning journey, is to choose that project. Right. And depending on we have three different ways into Maverick Collective, one of them really involves that that deep selection process. And I can talk about some of the other programs we have. But once they're in, once our members are in, depending on how they're funding with us, if they're funding a project, if our Maverick Venture Program, for instance, I think about it as our one to one program, one woman funding one project somewhere in the world. And that project, again, is really her investment is helping PSI move the needle on something that other donors aren't willing to fund yet, right? So once she funds, once she kind of makes her investment in that project, she gets to go and spend time in the field, in country with the project team, get on calls with the team, kind of hearing them problem solve and talk about what's challenging, what's not working, where are we going next? She gets invited into the Maverick Collective community where we have masterclasses and workshops with global health experts from around the world where we really also interrogate philanthropy, different types of giving and investing. We talk about how to be disruptive, how to be more feminist, how to align your values with the way that you give, the way that you invest, the way that you consume. We bring in all kinds of different thought leaders, incredible women and men from our kind of global community to help really build a, a very like well-rounded education, experiential education for our donors around the work that they're doing with us and the work that they'll go on to do in the rest of the world. What is your definition of impact investing? I think impact investing has, there's a spectrum of what it means, but at the 
basic form. It is where you are making an investment where there is two types of return, both financial return and impact as a return. You know, it is investing that is, I think there's a spectrum. There's the type of investing that is just doing no harm, right? And making sure that whatever you're investing in, whether it is a, a philanthropic investment or a return-seeking, you know, capital return-seeking investment, that none of that money is going to something that does harm in the world. That takes actually, for a lot of people, divestment from a lot of the things that they're investing in, right? And there's some huge movements right now to get high net worth individuals and companies to divest from portfolios where they're, where some of their investments go toward companies that might be doing harm, whether that's environmental harm, personal harm, et cetera. Then I think there's along the spectrum, you've got the types of investments that you can make in organizations, whether they're nonprofit or for-profit, that you know you see impact as a return, that those investments are going into projects and organizations and companies that are helping the planet, that are helping people, right, that are kind of helping to accelerate progress toward those sustainable development goals that the UN has put out for the world. Sometimes those investments do garner a financial return. Sometimes they don't or they don't right now, but they will in the long run or we hope that they will. So, you know, I think my definition probably involves a lot of people's different definitions because I know there's a lot out there. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com download. So at, at PSI, and then I'm, I'm not sure what the relationship is in terms of how you track return, but how do you think about measuring success, quantifying the impact that you're having, the metrics that you track? PSI is pretty obsessed with metrics. We used to have a tagline. We don't use it anymore, but it was healthy lives, measurable results. So measurement is part of our DNA. The first thing I want to say, though, is that we make sure, as I have said before, that the people with boots on the ground are the ones who are defining what impact means, right? The people who are closest to the problems, who are proximate to the communities that we serve, are the ones who are saying, here is the impact that these communities want to see. Here is what our consumers are telling us they need to thrive and be healthy. And that is how we design our metrics. So very, very kind of powered by the people that we serve. And that is going to look different from project to project, country to country, right? In some places, PSI is delivering health products and services, right? We actually run several social businesses around the world that are about just getting health products out to women and girls, for instance, that support them throughout their lives from menstruation to menopause. And this is about getting high quality, trusted products into their hands at a cost that they can afford, whether that's free or low, you know, free and subsidized or low cost and subsidized. Measuring impact that way is actually pretty straightforward, right? Did we sell that birth control pack to her? We have ways to then measure, well, assuming that she's going to use that birth control pack for a year, here is the type of impact we're having on her being able to prevent that pregnancy that she doesn't want, right? It's actually a pretty simple, it's still more complicated than what my 
non-math brain can do, but we have some really easy metrics to measure that. We've delivered a service. We've delivered a product. We know the type of impact that can have on somebody's life. What gets a little more tricky, though, is when we start to work on things like real systems change, right? When we're trying to change a policy in country, when we're trying to facilitate a market, right, to actually like facilitate a new market grouping that doesn't exist. When we're trying to take an innovation that maybe was funded through Maverick Collective and try to get the Ministry of Health to take it to scale across the entire country. When we're trying to build capacity of healthcare workers around the world. You know, these are the things that get more tricky, but that we are constantly measuring and finding ways to measure. Also, what we're really excited about, this gets a little bit nerdy, is what we call catalytic impact. So PSI has been around a long time, right? We've been directly serving communities for 50 years, but we also know that our impact goes beyond what we do directly. We know that when we do have, you know, when we do influence policy change, that has impact for years and years and years, you know, decades, generations beyond what we did directly. And so now we're getting really excited about how we measure that kind of catalytic impact that we can have as a single organization when we are supporting systems and market change. Nerdy is good on the show. Great. So, and along those lines, have you seen the giver, donor, philanthropy community expect more from organizations like yours in terms of reporting metrics, demonstrating the impact that you're having in these communities? I think that really depends on the donor. We have, as I said, PSI has always been pretty obsessed with measuring impact. We have a huge slew of donors from the effective altruist movement. Peter Singer has highlighted us as one of the most effective charities to give to, and we've really benefited from that among donors that care deeply about kind of tying their dollars to measurement. And that's awesome. On the other side, we also know that so much real systemic change is hard to measure directly, right? We need generations of change before we reach a gender equitable world, right? A report just came out that said it will now take 300 years for us to reach gender equity at the rate we're going, right? So we're talking about generational change that means a deep dismantling of the systems that we have in place right now. That stuff is very hard to measure because that takes an entire ecosystem to work in sync, right? Even just looking at the health ecosystem, we need healthcare to be delivered to individuals when they want it, how they want it, and at the cost that they can afford. But if you are an adolescent girl, if you're a 16-year-old girl in pretty much anywhere in the world, including here, and you want to go and access contraception so that you can stay in school and delay pregnancy until you're ready, not you are not the only person making that choice, right? Even though we think you should be, we know that you've probably got parents and other people around you in your home and community who might put up barriers to that, right? Who might sway you against that. We've, you've got, you know, religious leaders and faith leaders, cultural leaders, others who might say that is not appropriate, or actually you need to prove your fertility or contraception is going to cause infertility or all kinds of myths that are out there. You might have a policy environment that won't actually allow you to go and get that contraceptive without parental permission. And so Again, like there are all of these barriers at every level of the system that need to be dismantled 
And that takes advocacy, movement building. That takes kind of training up a health workforce throughout a country to deliver standardized, high-quality health care. That takes even what we see in the U.S., putting people into power and voting people into power that are going to kind of take down those harmful policies and put in respectful and supportive policies for people to access health care. So we also see, especially with Maverick Collective, which is really based on, you know, flexible, nimble, bold giving, a lot of our members are coming in and saying, I'm not going to demand that you show me some sort of outcome in three years, right? I understand that impact, the impact we want to see, generational impact, systemic impact, takes a really long time and is hard to measure at the outcome level. But what we can measure is progress toward those outcomes, right? And so we see a lot of Maverick members coming in and actually giving really flexible funding to us to do advocacy work, to build the capacity of local partners and community members and young people in the countries where we work to be champions throughout their lives, right? To become activists, to fight for what they believe in. We do a lot of like healthcare capacity, you know, building up the workforce, supporting people to get out to the hardest, most rural reaches of countries to make sure that people can access care. So I think that it really depends on the donor. Some donors are going to feel really precious about that money and feel that it needs, they need to see a direct return. Luckily, PSI is an organization that can do that. But more and more, particularly in the more progressive philanthropic circles I'm in, I see a lot of donors who are willing to say, I'm ready to just fund advocacy and capacity building and movement building. And I'm going to trust these organizations that I know do this really well. I'm going to be part of the movement myself as an activist. And we might not see change for 10, 20, 50 years, but that's okay. That's what philanthropy should be for. So as we round out the conversation, I want to circle back to Maverick Collective. If somebody listening is interested in pursuing membership, what are some common characteristics of the membership community? How do you actually become engaged in the collective? What does that process look like? Yeah, and I welcome conversations with anybody who is remotely interested in the type of work we do and the type of philanthropy we practice. Well, as I mentioned, Maverick Collective is made up of people who identify as women. We range in age from women in their 20s to their 80s. Some are really kind of sophisticated, savvy philanthropists doing this full time, and others have never stepped their foot in this before. You know, most of our members are, they're pretty ambitious, you know, really kind of women who are committed to lots of things at the same time. They're busy. They have jobs, they have families, they're in school, they sit on boards, they're doing investing, they're doing philanthropy. And for some, as I said, they're just starting out, but most have very full and active lives. And we are here to be part of that and to sit along with it and to amplify it. We have three different giving programs, giving vehicles that members enter the collective to, you know, through. One is called Maverick Venture. I mentioned this earlier. This is our oldest program. This is where women are able to make an individual gift to a project that they get to then learn deeply from over a two to three year period. These projects are really like almost venture capital for PSI, helping us seed and start up new ways of working, new approaches, new technologies, really going where other funders won't, helping us prove concept so that then we can take those ideas and those projects to scale once we've demonstrated impact. 
Another program that we run that I mentioned at the beginning of the session is Maverick Next. This is our program specifically tailored to women who are at the start of their philanthropy journey, maybe have really never done anything of this size or scale before, and don't really want to do it on their own. So Maverick Next is a cohort model where we pull together small circles of three to six women who co-invest in a project together and then go on the learning journey together, you know, traveling out to the field together. Our One of our Maverick Next cohorts just got back from Guatemala, you know, week before last where they were spending time with the project that they're funding in Central America. They travel together. They do retreats together. We have a partnership with the London School of Economics that delivers a short course in philanthropy and social entrepreneurship that all of these next-gen members get to access. And then finally, in April of this year, we launched a new vehicle called Maverick Portfolio, which is really what I call our feminist fund. This is a pooled philanthropic fund where we pool capital from hopefully lots and lots and lots of members over the next several years. That money then gets deployed to three country teams in the PSI world. And those teams are working hand in hand with grassroots feminist movements to dismantle systemic barriers that stand in the way of women's sexual and reproductive health and rights. What's really amazing about the portfolio is that all decision making is done at the grassroots. So donors put their money in and then our teams in country, we are starting in three countries, Uganda, Malawi, and Cote d'Ivoire. They get to decide what impact means, how they're going to spend the money, and how long it's going to take. And the only conditions that we put on them was put this money towards something that is under-resourced, but absolutely necessary to achieve gender equity and achieve reproductive health for all. And what's really cool about the fund is that this is a feminist fund, as I mentioned. Our teams in the field came together and decided that what they wanted to use the money for is investing in men and boys and really investing in dismantling constructs of harmful masculinity in the countries where we work and to transform the role of men and boys into allies and champions for gender equity for women and girls and to really look at redefining what it means to be a man. These are conversations that we have just as much here in the U.S. and in the global north as we do in the global south. And I'm really proud of the teams for kind of taking on what I think is a very radical approach to supporting gender equality in the world. Rena, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been incredible, just the breadth of the organization, the work that you all are doing. And it's admirable. If people are interested in learning more about Maverick Collective, PSI, or just the work that you're doing yourself, what's the best way for them to learn more? Please check out our website, maverickcollective.org. There's a really easy way to reach out to us there and someone will absolutely connect with you and connect you with me. And if you want to look at PSI's work, you can also check out PSI.org. We are one organization, two websites, but we're all here to help you on your journey as you out there think about the ways you use your money and your time and your talent and your testimony to change the world, to help women, girls, men and boys, you know, thrive and hopefully see a healthier planet that comes out of it as well. For those listening, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please leave us a rating and, and commentary. Let us know what part of the conversation you like the most. And Rena, a question that I ask people to come on the show, is there a regular practice that you observe that helps bring peace to your life? I have started 
with some intention and I'm trying to practice it every day, as soon as I wake up in the morning, even before I open my eyes, I run through my mind the things that I'm grateful for. Sounds kind of cheesy and it can sometimes be hard to remember, but I have found that given all of the crises around us, the fear and anxiety that I think we're all living in as a society, it is so important to stay grounded in the things that we have, the love that we have, the people that love us. And if you can't find even one thing, then I think it's it's time to go out and find it because self-preservation and self-love and gratitude is absolutely essential for all of us. Well put. Thank you for sharing that. Rena, thank you so much again for all the work that you do, for sharing your story. And I do encourage people to reach out and connect. They're doing incredible work. And I look forward to staying up to date to my wife and my sister-in-law and some of the initiatives that you're doing. And the best of luck with the new investment vehicle as well. And thank you again. I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.